You're listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His Kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Listen, Paul keeps getting at one main message that there's a real uh, relationship that happens through Jesus Christ and you can't do something to yourself to make yourself more acceptable to God. Uh, What you do for God is out of response for what he's done for you through Jesus. And last week, Chad kind of ended on us being children of God, being given the status in a family where the church doesn't work like anything else in the world. Uh, The church isn't based on performance. The church is based on the acceptance that you receive through Jesus. So there is no hierarchy in the church. Uh, It's all just children of God. And that's really what we're going to dive in today. Paul continues to go into this theme of understanding what it means to be a son of God. And I know that some of you are like, well, wait a minute, where's the daughter? Why isn't sons and daughters? And I'll explain that. I'll explain that there's a reason why Paul uses the term sons of God. And so we're going to talk about today, sons of God, confident and free. And I'm going to pray for us right now. And then we're going to dive into God's word and Galatians three and four. So would you pray with me? Father God, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, We believe that you're going to come and you're going to work in our lives. As we sit in this text, you're going to open up our hearts, things that we didn't see You're going to change our motivations. You're going to convict us and comfort us. And only you can do that. And so we just say, Spirit, please come. Give us assurance through Jesus Christ that we are your children. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, let's jump into Galatians 3. We'll start in 26. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Say one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Say adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to the things that by nature are not God's. But, but now since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. 
the word of God. One of my favorite stories, and I say it's my favorite story because I've told it before. Uh, one of my favorite stories is about David Beckham. David Beckham, the iconic midfielder for Manchester United and Real Madrid who captained England, uh, captained their soccer team for years. Everybody know David Beckham, right? You've heard the name. Uh, well, David Beckham has three boys and their names are Brooklyn, Romeo, and Cruz. Those are pretty cool names and David Beckham's cool so it makes sense. But when those boys were younger, David Beckham used to take them in his backyard and play soccer with them. And he would let each of the boys choose an iconic soccer star to pretend to be while they were playing in the backyard. So he'd look at his oldest son and say, all right, who are you gonna be? Who are you gonna pretend to be? And his oldest son, Brooklyn, would say, well, I'm gonna be Zinedine Zidane, the great Frenchman. And so during, while they were playing, he would pretend to be Zinedine Zidane. And so then he would ask his younger, his second born son, Romeo, what, who are you gonna pretend to be? He said, I'm gonna be the Brazilian Ronaldinho. All right, we've got Zinedine Zidane and Ronaldinho. And then he looked at Cruz, the little one, the, the youngest little son and said, Cruz, who are you gonna pretend to be? And Cruz would say, I am David Beckham. And it was a sweet moment because they thought that he wanted to be like his dad. But then they came to realize that Cruz actually did not understand that his father was David Beckham. <laughs> so they, he, Cruz had lived in this house, the Beckham household, and every day he heard the name David Beckham and came to believe that David Beckham was this amazing soccer player. But he didn't realize that David Beckham was the man who cared for him and loved him and made him, him breakfast and played soccer with him. He didn't realize that this, this great iconic soccer star was the one who loved him. And I would have liked to have been there for the moment where they told him. You know, I can see the, the expression on a little child's face when he said, hey, you know, you know how you love David Beckham? David Beckham is your dad. I can see like him getting confused at first and, and then, you know, sort, sort of absorbing the reality and then, then delighting, oh my goodness, my dad's David Beckham. And then that totally changing his perspective on life and giving him this sense of like joy and confidence and freedom that his dad is David Beckham and he is David Beckham's son. I think it's easy for us to imagine that moment for Cruz Beckham. But if we're honest, I think that we struggle to imagine that moment for ourselves with God. The God of the universe, the King of all creation is also your father who loves you and cares about you, whose eye is on you 24 seven who's in control of all things, but is intimately involved in every aspect of your life. The reality is it's hard for us to absorb that. You know, just as Cruz had this, at some point had this delight when he realized his dad was David Beckham, I think it's hard for us to live in that reality and delight in that every day. 
Most of us who follow Jesus struggle to experience God as father on a daily basis. We long to live in, with more confidence that he is our father and we are his beloved children. I mean, let me ask you, are you there? Do you want to live with more confidence that God is your father? Yes? Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. We all long for that relationship and that deep experience of the freedom of being his children. And here's the great news. God wants you to experience that on a daily basis. God doesn't want you to keep guessing and wondering whether he loves you and whether you are his child. He wants you to rest with confidence that he is your father and live on a daily basis in freedom because you are his child. So if God wants it and we want it, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle? Why don't we live with that confidence and that freedom? Well, Paul tells us in this text, if you can put it on verse three and nine, Paul tells us that the first reason that we don't experience God as our father in a deep way is because we're trapped in a spiritual performance mindset. In other words, we think our relationship with God has something to do with how we perform for God. In verses three and nine, Paul uses these terms slavery and elements. In slavery under the elements of the world and worthless elements, do you want to be enslaved to them again? And that, that word elements is notoriously hard to figure out exactly, just exactly what Paul means. But I think if it's following the context of the other part of the book of Galatians, it means a relationship based on performance and obedience rather than a relationship based on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. See, following God is good. Obeying his law is good. But our obedience is not the foundation of a relationship with God. And if we don't come to realize that, we will end up in a relationship with God that's based on spiritual performance, which was never how God intended us to be in a relationship with him. Because how much do you have to perform? How good do you have to be? How obedient do you have to be to secure the relationship? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If I can just be a little bit more of a better person, then I will have confidence that God really loves me and that he is my father. And what Paul's saying is that mindset is a trap. It's a treadmill that you just run on. And that's the way the rest of the world works, which is, I think is why he's saying in slavery under the elements of the world, everything else in the world works based on performance. But God does not. God works based off the good news of the gospel of grace. And so Paul tells us that one of the reasons that we're not intimately experiencing God as our beloved father is because we're trapped in this spiritual performance mindset where we think that we're accepted based on what we do for God rather than being accepted based on what Jesus has done for us. And if you're in that mindset, it will be incredibly hard for you to enjoy a relationship with God as father. Now I know some of you go, yeah, like stick it to the religious mindset. 
We want freedom, you know? I never liked those religious types. But hold on one second. Because not only does Paul say that being enslaved to a spiritual performance mindset will hinder your relationship with God as Father, he also says that being spiritual but not religious is also enslaving as well. In, in other words, you might not want to perform your religious duties, you might just want to live your life, but Paul says that even that is being enslaved under spiritual power. It's in slavery under the elements of the world. The, the, the ways of living that we think bring freedom because we get to do what we want to do, Paul says is actually enslave, enslaving under spiritual power and therefore not experiencing freedom and joy as a child of God. See, the, uh, the ancient Greeks believed that every part of life was ruled by a god or an idol. So if you were about to farm your crops, you had to make a sacrifice to the idol of the crops and appease them so that your life would go the way you wanted it. And if you were gonna go on a great journey across the ocean, you had to offer a sacrifice to the idols or the gods of the ocean in order to appease them and make sure the seas were calm and therefore have a safe trip. In other words, this way of thinking wasn't like a religious system like the Jews had. It was a way of saying, how can we get what we want from the gods to get the life that we want? And you might say, well, you know, they had these wooden idols and they had these metal idols and we don't really have idols today. Really? Really, we don't, we might not have idols that you can touch, but we sure do have idols. Have you ever seen someone entrapped under the idol of power? Like they have to do whatever they can to get and keep power. Have you ever seen someone trapped under the idol of pleasure? Like they live their life to suck everything out of it and once pain enters in, they can't handle it. Or let me ask you, have you ever gotten trapped by the idol of your image? Like you wanna portray an image? I mean, this is South Florida, that's just the way things are. We don't like to have an image that's not perfect and good. But Paul says that's a trap. Or what about the idol of comfort? See, we want our lives to be comfortable, but as soon as we say, my life is only good if it is comfortable, and that'll bring me freedom, it actually ends up trapping us because we can never be uncomfortable, we can't handle it. It's like a monkey trap. You ever seen a monkey trap? Monkey trap's really simple. A monkey trap's just a vase. And the vase is broad at the bottom and then gets narrow at the top. And you just make sure that that vase is secure to the ground and you drop a nut in the vase. And a monkey comes along, figures out that there's a nut in that vase. He has to narrow his hand to get it in the vase opening and then he can open it up at the bottom where it spreads out and grab the nut. And as soon as he grabs that nut, he can't get out. And that's how you trap a monkey, because he's not gonna let go. It seems foolish and simple, but a monkey trap is a lot like the idols of this world and how they work with us. As soon as we get our hands on them, we think, this is exactly what I want. 
but we don't let go. We think that comfort brings us freedom, but it actually enslaves us because we can never be uncomfortable. We can't let go of comfort. We think that if we live our lives with power and influence, then that's freedom, but it's a trap and you won't be able to let go. You can see this, the idol of greed. If I can just get a little bit more, but then you can never enjoy what you have and you're trapped and enslaved. Or even as I said, that idol of image. We've gotta keep our image up on social media. We've gotta keep our reputation up over and over and over, grabbing onto that nut and never able to let go. Some people say, well, I get it. I can let go whenever I want, just not right now. And it's got us, doesn't it? And what Paul's point is, is that these religious systems of performance, in other words, I'm accepted before God based on what I do for God, is enslaving. But so is a way of living that just says, I'm gonna do what I want to get what I want. I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship things and center my life around something in order to bring freedom. But Paul says, no, you're trapped as well. You're enslaved in the elements of the world. But here's the good news. The God of the universe wants you to live in true freedom with him. Not based on spiritual performance, nor based under, on, on like, I'm gonna get what I want in order to live a free life. He wants you to have real freedom and real confidence. Real confidence in your relationship with him so it's not based on what you do for him but on what he's done for you, but then true freedom. Freedom to live in relationship with him in this life. To be fully alive to him as your father. And Paul tells us that this relationship with God as father that brings confidence and true freedom is the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came to set you free in order that God might be your father. Look what he says in verse four and five. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The law was there for a time to guide humanity, to remind people that they, that they needed grace, that they weren't able to approach God, but there was someone coming, the Messiah Jesus, who was going to die for their sins and reconcile them to God and move their relationship out of an intricate system of performance and into deep intimacy with God as father. I mean, that's why the father sent his son. That's what the text says. The father sent the son born of a woman so that Jesus was fully God and fully man. As Charles Spurgeon says, he was both infinite and infant. Infinite and infant. And he was born under the law, meaning that just like you and I, he was obligated to obey God. But unlike us, he was actually able to obey God. 
He perfectly fulfilled God's law. He loved God and he loved neighbor perfectly. You and I have not done that. And we fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus came to redeem us from being under the law. See, the law says you're condemned and you're separated from God because you cannot meet the standard. But the gospel says that Jesus came to meet the standard for us and take the punishment that we deserve. That's, that's what redeem means. It means to pay the price or to buy back from slavery. And Paul has just told us that every human being is either enslaved to a religious system or enslaved to idols trying to, to live their life in freedom. But Jesus has come to pay the price and redeem us from slavery through the forgiveness that we get on the cross and through being declared righteous through him. In order that we might receive adoption as sons. And it's interesting here that he says we. In other words, he's saying everybody. Everybody, whether you've been in a religious system or whether you've been living your life for freedom but really enslaved, wherever you're at, Jesus has come for you in order that through believing in him and repenting of your sins, you might enter into a new relationship with God as adopted sons. Sons. He doesn't say daughters, does he? And I know some of you are like, I knew Paul was a misogynist, I knew it. But to understand what Paul's saying there, we have to really get into the context. The context that in this time, a firstborn son was the heir of a wealthy father. A daughter was not legally allowed to be the heir of the inheritance. Now, if a father had no son, he could adopt a grown man as his son and give all the inheritance to this adopted son. And what Paul is saying that is if you're in Christ, whether you are man or whether you are woman, you are given the status of God's firstborn son. Rather than putting women down, in this culture, it was a promotion. A woman would have read this text and be like, wait a minute, I can't even be my own earthly father's heir to the inheritance, but I get to be God's firstborn child? This would have blown people's mind in this original culture, saying that both men and women in Christ are given the status of the heir of the father's inheritance through adoption. Not by birth, through adoption. Paul says that very clearly, that this comes through adoption. See, a lot of people say that we are all God's children. And the Bible actually doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we are all God's creation, that because we've lived lives centered on ourselves rather than God, we are separated from God. We've spent our lives avoiding God or replacing God or pursuing things besides God or rejecting God, and therefore we are separated from God. So we're not born into this world as God's children. We're born into this world as God's creation and therefore we deserve dignity and respect, but we're not born into his family. 
But what scripture teaches is that Jesus, who is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was rejected for you on the cross in order that you might take his place in the family of God. That together, men and women become God's son through adoption. Listen to how John puts it in John chapter one, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. You know, when, a, when an adopted child is adopted, in the United States, it happens in a courtroom. And usually that's a very, it's, there's a lot of legal proceedings that are going along with it. And either the judge or a lawyer asks the family that's adopting, is your intention to adopt this child? And the family has to say yes. Are you going to care for this child? Are you going to love this child? Are you committing yourself to this child? And the family has to say, yes, yes, yes. Will you spend your money for this child so that they'll thrive in this life? And when this child becomes a teenager, are you still going to care for them? And the family says, yes, and yes. And many adoptive parents have said those yeses. My wife and I have said those yeses. And the good news of the gospel is that if you know Jesus Christ, God has said yes for you. See, and the freedom comes is as you become a child of God or through becoming a child of God through Jesus, the relationship is not secured by your legal commitment to God, but by his commitment to you. When we adopted our daughter, she had no idea what was going on. She caused a mess in that courtroom. But we were able to, before our, the judge and before the lawyer and before everyone else said, yes, we are committed. And she just received it. And it's the same way for you in becoming a child of God. If you give your life over to Jesus, God commits himself to you as father. You're not making him your father. He is your father. He said, yes, yes, yes. I will take everything about them. I will commit myself to them. I will never leave them nor forsake them. I know the mess that they are and they're mine. See, as you begin to understand that, you see the beauty of what we're talking about in being a child of God. You're given status as the firstborn son who he's promised his inheritance to, but not only that, the, the, the burden on the relationship rests on him and his commitment, not on you and yours. And so whether it is enslavement to idols or enslavement to spiritual poor performance, the freedom comes in recognizing that it's not about what you've done for God, but what about what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. But you do have to receive it. Have you received it? Have you come to a place where you said, I want God as father, I want the security of that commitment? But remember, it doesn't just happen through being born, it's not through creation, it's through adoption. And to all who receive Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So, so have you received Christ? 
Have you given your life to him? Have you repented of running your life and believe in his death for you? Because if that's the case, then you can confidently say, God says yes to me. God says yes to me. God looks at me and says, my child, son of my inheritance, I'm all in for all of eternity. That's God's commitment to you. And that's where you get the confidence in walking with God as your father. It's based on what he's done. You receive it through Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens, he won't back out. He's all in for all of eternity with you. Well, how do we experience that ongoing freedom and confidence? You just have to live in that reality and delight in the fact that what God has done for you is true every day. Someone was telling me that their five-year-old that just had a birthday and like the day after their birthday, you know, kids say birthday, the day after their birthday, they're like, hey, daddy, you remember my birthday yesterday? And he's like, yeah, I was, I was there, I remember. But then like two weeks later, hey, you remember my birthday? Three months later, you remember my birthday? And for the six months following their birthday, they just keep talking about the reality of their birthday. But then when six months hits, they begin to look forward to the next one. Hey dad, my birthday is only five months away. It's only four months away. It's only three weeks away. And all year they live in this reality. Why? Well, they enjoyed that one day where everyone came together for them and delighted in them and celebrated them. But the reality is that if you're a child of God, that day is every day from God's perspective. Every day God delights in you. Every day God sets his affections on you. Every day God celebrates that you are his child. And the way to experience that is to simply say, it's real and I'm gonna live in it. You've heard, of some, you've heard of people misappropriating funds, which is they use funds for something that it's not meant to do. But you're meant to appropriate being a child of God, which means it's for you. Take it and use it, live in that reality. Even if your feelings tell you otherwise, you are still a child of God. God is so committed to you living in that experience. Look what he says in verse six and seven. Paul writes, and because you are sons, from, say right now, say, I am a son. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a son. Now I know that's weird, in the body of Christ, men have to be, or women have to be sons and men have to be a bride. But you are a son. You are the firstborn. In God's eyes, you have status. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. God, God is, <laughs> people think that God wants you to question your relationship with him. Like God wants you to be uncertain about his commitment to you. 
God is so committed to you being confident and free in your relationship with him that the whole Trinity is involved in this idea of sonship. God the Father sent God the Son to redeem you. And then God the Father and God the Son sent God the Spirit to live in you. So that you, as he's working in you, you might have a deeper experience in living in the reality that you are a child of the king of the universe. That as he works in us, we might be able to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, it's this Aramaic word. And some people say it's like the first way a child says, Dad, Dada, Abba, 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 Abba. But it is a term of intimacy and certainly familiarity. See, you're meant to experience an intimate relationship with God as your Abba Father. And it's so good that we recognize the holiness of God when we pray. Dear Father God, Lord of the universe, almighty in heaven, king of creation. Wonderful, all those things are true. Hi, Dad. I love you. Do you love me still? I've had a rough day. Dad, can you help me? That's the experience we're meant to have as the children of God. He sent his spirit into you that you might believe it and you might live in the fullness of that experience with God as your Abba Father. And I know that many of you have issues around your earthly father because there's no perfect earthly father. But part of the confidence and freedom, part of experiencing confidence and freedom is actually not pulling away from your heavenly father because your earthly father hurt you, but actually leaning into him and discovering that he is the perfect father. Don't be unwilling to lean into your heavenly father because you had a bad experience with your earthly father because it is the discovery of God as the perfect father that actually brings the delight and joy and freedom and confidence into your life. If you can do the next slide. I think this is a helpful framework for parenting. Someone shared this with me. I think as a father, my role are these three things. To delight in my children, which is to have joy over their lives. To, dis, uh, to do discipleship which, with them, which is training for their lives and to discipline them, which is correcting their lives. And, and the reality though is these things are very hard to balance. And they were probably hard for your earthly father to balance. I mean, in reality, your earthly father was probably good at one of these things, maybe two. And there's probably just a few of us where they, they hit all three, but the reality is it's super challenging to delight, disciple, and discipline. But God as our heavenly father perfectly does all three with every one of us. Never stops delighting. Never gives up on training you. <laughs> and 
disciplines you, but always out of love, never out of wrath or punishment because Jesus already took the wrath or punishment that you deserve. And so wherever the weakness of your earthly father was, realize that that is not your heavenly father's weakness at all. He delights in you, he will disciple you, and he will discipline you because he loves you and he wants to correct you. So listen, when you're wrong, God's goal is not for you to live in shame for eternity because you're wrong. His affections are set on you despite your performance. He values you whether you are impressive or not. Even if you're not, he still values you. He's delighted for you to discover who he is. He's always eager for you to rely on him and his wisdom. You're safe and secure in him. He has his hands on you and you in his hands. He's willing to meet you in your emotional pain. He's strong when you're weak. He will never overlook you. He's your father and he loves you and he knows you. He knows you. He knows you. That's a little scary. He knows you. When I moved back to South Florida, one of the funny expressions that caught me off guard was this. Uh, and some of you say it, someone poke fun at you just for a minute. But some, sometimes people would say to me, hey, let me be completely honest with you. And as a pastor, like your ears perk up because they're like, they're not just gonna be honest with me. They're gonna be completely honest with me. <laughs> let me be completely honest with you. I don't really like milk in my cereal. I was like, wait, I thought you were gonna go somewhere way deep with me. I don't like to drink my water when it's really cold. And you're looking at me confused, which is exactly how I felt. I'm like, you just told me you're gonna be completely honest with me about something. Like I was gonna get in in your life and you were gonna share something. Like I was gonna get to know you but you just told me how you like cereal. That's a preference, that's not complete honesty, right? And I think for all of us, that reflects how we are with God. Like we don't wanna let him in too far, so we just keep things light and on the surface. Let's be completely honest with God. Well, I'll just share my cereal preferences with him. But here's the reality. I mean, God already knows. He, he already knows who you are. The, the relationship with him remember, is based on his commitment to you, which is what Paul gets at in the next verse. Verse eight and nine, listen to what he says. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's, but now, since you know God, corrects himself, or rather, have become known by God. Since you know God, no, wait a minute, you've become known by God. He knows you. Your relationship with God isn't about him getting to know you more because he already knows you. He's in it, 100%. In other words, when the relationship began, he already knew every broken, sinful thing about you. And he's like, yeah, I'm in. and he hasn't gone anywhere. As you've come to see more and more of your sin and brokenness, 
He hasn't gone anywhere. And part of experiencing freedom as a child of God is realizing that he's not going anywhere. He already knows you and he's not scared. You might be scared to open up to him, but he's not scared about you opening up to him. And so he already knows what's going on in your heart. You have a freedom to admit who you really are. I mean, we're afraid to be honest and open in this world with people, right? We wanna kind of keep things hidden, but God already knows and he hasn't backed away. And so there's a sense where you have a freedom to be completely honest with him about where you're at and what you're going through and the mistakes that you made and your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your lack of trust and all those issues because he already knows and he's not scared. And really your relationship with God isn't him getting to know you better, rather it's you getting to know him better and learning to see yourself from his perspective. And I think that's why it is so important for us to actually dig deeper into our hearts and find out what's really there. Because as we uncover things that we're ashamed of or that we're scared of admitting, he's not going anywhere. And rather than living in fear and anxiety about who we really are, there's healing that happens when we connect with the God who already knows us and says, yeah, I'm still your Abba Father and I'm not backing down. We are afraid to to even take a look at ourselves. But that's one of the reasons why every Sunday we do some sort of confession of sin. It's not like a religious ritual that we do on Sunday mornings. That's training our hearts to trust in the God who knows us and forgives us through Jesus Christ. The other night we were at dinner and one of my, my daughters always fight over who can pray. So it's a real good spirit of prayer going into that after there. But one of them started praying and basically it was a confession of everyone else's sins at the table that she was praying. So she said, help my sister. She's just been so disobedient lately. And help my daddy to be patient and not lose his temper. And at that point I was like, all right, prayer's over. Time to eat. but maybe she's right. Maybe she's right, but God already knew. And I think we get really good at confessing each other's sins, but because we're afraid of admitting who we really are, we don't confess our own sins, when the reality is God already knows who we are. So we don't have to ignore our sins because God loves us in spite of our sins. From the very beginning, he was all in and he knows us. And really, It feels counterintuitive, but when you begin to admit who you really are to God, that's really where you begin to experience the freedom and the confidence. Because you're not faking it, you're not living on the surface level, you're actually experiencing him in the real part of who you really are. I saw a picture going around the internet And it said, religion is, I messed up, my dad's gonna kill me. Where the gospel and adoption through the gospel says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. 
And that's the difference between living in enslavement versus living in the freedom and confidence of the children of God. And God looks at you as he looks at Jesus Christ. And so as an heir of God, you're entitled, you have the right to everything that the perfect son of God has. Now you're not God, but you are God's beloved child. And what does that freedom and confidence look like? If you can go to the next slide, we'll end with this. God wants you to live with a confidence that he will never abandon you. God wants you to know that he is directing every one of your steps according to his purpose. God wants you to have a confidence that he's making you more like Jesus even when you're discouraged by your sin. He wants you to be confident that in Christ, your status in the family isn't based on anything you do or don't do, but based on Jesus. He wants you to live with a confidence and a freedom. If you can go to the next slide. A freedom to openly relate to God as loving father. Openly, freely. I failed today, but he's still my dad. A freedom to reject anxiety-driven idolatry. I can't let go, I can't let go. And self-protective tendencies because we have confident trust that he does love us. We can let go of those idols. He loves us. But then also a freedom, if you can go to the next slide, a freedom to confess your sin to your father and reject it with his help. You're not performing for him, you're walking with him. And then lastly, to be in a blended family of needy, broken people and to fight sin not out of fear of condemnation, but by the power of the gospel. This is really what it means to be the chi- a child of God, a son, an heir. It's for you. God wants you to walk in it. If you know Jesus Christ, then this is how God sees you. And you have a freedom to walk in it and a confidence that he is your father. I wanna ask you now just to close your eyes for a moment. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just wanna ask you uh, to be honest with yourself. Do you long for more of this reality in your life? Do you wanna live with more freedom and confidence? You know Jesus Christ and you wanna experience God as Father. If that's you, would you be so bold as just to raise your hand if you wanna live more in that freedom and confidence, amen, amen. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but let me ask you this. Is anybody in a spot where they go, listen, I don't know Jesus Christ. I know I'm not in relationship with God. Uh, If that's you and you you want to walk with God as Father through starting a new relationship with Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? Amen, amen. I'm gonna pray for you now, whether you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, I wanna pray for you. And if you want someone to talk through these things with, whether you know God, but you wanna walk deeper with him as father, or whether you do not know Jesus and you wanna begin to walk with him and a walk with God as your father, please come see me. I'd love to talk you through this. I'd love to pray with you. But I'm gonna pray for us now as the band comes forward. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done The beauty of the gospel is that you were the son who performed. You were the confident, bold son who followed the father and yet 
you were rejected so that we could be accepted. You were the, the one who was part of the family of God and yet you were cast out so that we could take your place and we could be adopted. Lord, I pray for a deep freedom and confidence in your people today, that you would give them a freedom to experience you as father on a level that they never have before, that you would open up their eyes to see your commitment to them. And for those here who say, I I don't know God as father because I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Might they see that Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And for those that believe in you, Jesus, you give the right to become children of God. We ask all this in your name and for your glory, amen. Would you stand with me now and sing?